You're listening to Church at the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchattheoaks.com. I love Noah and his energy and his excitement, um, but I love him most about his, his tenacity for the Lord. And so if you haven't got any time with Noah yet, um, you're going to get some in a few minutes. We get to celebrate his baptism and one more breath uh, as well for we getting to do that. It's going to be a, a good time. So um, I love getting to begin uh, walking into a, a text with the baptism video because it, there's something about that that reminds us that the text that we're going to look at, the time that we're going to spend with the Lord, isn't um, something for us to intellectually just understand. It's something for us to practically walk out. Out, which is a different thing altogether. It's not just something for us to intellectually understand. It's something for us to practically walk out. It takes a little bit of nerve, maybe more than a little bit, to let us like do, do your story on this like ridiculous huge TV that Bama bought and stuck in this room, okay? I've never... He was like 20 feet tall. I mean, that was intense. So it takes, it takes a little bit to say, like, I, I, want to, I want to publicly let these people know, some of whom I know and some of whom I don't, where I stand with Christ, and so my, my hope and my prayer this morning is just like Noah's walking this out, just like Brett's going to be walking this out, that you're going to have to figure out how you're going to walk out the text we're going to walk through this morning. So we're continuing our series through the Great Commission, and we're getting towards the end of it. We're getting down to verse 20. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, we'll be in Matthew chapter 28, all right? And so before we jump into that, I just want to ask you a question. Like, just in your own mind, don't you think about this. What is the thing that you know how to do really well. Like that one like unique thing that you're like you're trained in, like you've figured out, like maybe it's one of those weird human skills that none of us really wants to see, you know, one of those things. But like what is the thing that that you know how to do best? Like tell the person next to you like what that is. Like like if you're just an incredible bowler and you're a little bit embarrassed about that, like this is your time to shine and be like, dude, I throw strikes, okay? Like that's that's what you get to say right now in the room. Right? So what is the thing that that you're best at? Like what do you what do you know how to do? And depending on what that thing is, the person next to you may be thinking, like, I need you to show me how to do that later, okay? Yeah. All right, you got it. All right, so we all know what each other are good at, right? We all got it. We all got the things. We know what we're good at. All right, so, like, let me ask you this. Could you teach the person next to you to, to do that thing? Now, in some cases, maybe not, right? You probably couldn't. Like, you, like, I don't know how to teach you how to do that. It's just I'm awesome, and I can't teach you how, right? But for a lot of the stuff, right, a lot of the stuff that you just talked about, a lot of those things you could probably at least explain. Like, you may be able to show them, and they may break their neck, but, like, you can, they can, you can try, right? You can help them get a little bit better at it. You could, you could, like, instill that in them. Given enough time, they may even be able to do it as well as you. But that would take some effort, right? What would it take? What would it take for you to teach that person to do the thing that you know how to do really well already? It would take a lot. This past, uh, this weekend, just the last two days, if I look a little bit like um, bleary-eyed, it's because I took my little boys camping and we burned like all the wood there is to burn and I just feel like I just sat in smoke for the last two days. But we had a great time. We also did a lot of um, rock climbing, which if you've met my kids, that's not a sentence I should be saying yet. They're, they're like too small. <laughs> like they're like eight and six and they've got those little tiny like six-year-old fingers, you know, and they're not they're like, like adept rock climbers yet. And so we went to this place. Uh, it's, it's north of Gadsden. It's called Cherokee Rock Village. Like you should go check it out. It was amazing. So we get there and there's all these people with all this gear. 
All right, they're all geared up. They've got like the ropes and the helmets and stuff and like the little special climbing shoes they can't walk in and look ridiculous. And so they're, they're all kind of wandering around and all this stuff. There's ropes strung all over these things. And there's me in like gym shorts and a coffee cup and like a six-year-old. And I'm like, what's up? You know, just full dad life. I mean, all these like other people trying to go full out at it. And I'm literally climbing rocks, holding my favorite coffee mug and a six-year-old. I'm like, I can do it like this. I don't know why you need all this, this gear. But that's what they do. So we're up there, and I'm having to do a little bit of training because legitimately I probably let them climb some stuff. I probably shouldn't let them climb, okay? And so there's some big old tall stuff, and it's pretty straight up steep. It's not something it can just scramble. And so I'm having to coach from the ground. I'm like, all right, move your right foot. And they're like, which one's that? I'm like, you don't know rights and lefts yet. Okay, here we go. You know, just figuring out. So get like that foot needs to be, move up just a little bit, and then get a toe hold. I'm like, all right, put your weight on your toe. And like, okay. And they put their weight on their toe, and they'd keep moving. And like, we were legitimately kind of training them to do a little bit of rock climbing. Listen, I'm not a professional rock climber. I, I have no idea how to tie myself to a rope and climb something without literally killing myself and everyone around me. I don't know how to do that. I'm not a professional rock climber. But I know enough to teach a six-year-old to put his weight on his toes and keep moving up a hill. Like, I, I know enough that I can give that to somebody else, even though I'm not full pro yet, right? may never be. But I can give away what I've got to help them do a little bit better at what they're trying to do. This morning, when we come to this text, we get to the bottom of this, this great commission, and Jesus says this in verse 20. He says that, that, that us, Christians, we're supposed to be people who are teaching them, we'll talk about that, to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, that there's something about our mandate, like this Great Commission lands, like we've done all this work, we've talked about all these things, we've talked about how his authority is the foundation for why we do what we do, we've talked about how we're supposed to be going as we are going, like on our normal means of life, like we are making disciples. We're sharing Christ with people who are in this seeker category who are saying, listen, I'm not sure that I believe that this God is there, I'm not sure that anything that you guys are talking about is not a fairy tale, right? We're sharing the gospel, we're helping find answers from the word. And when they come to the point when they, they believe in Christ, where we have a new disciple, right? And so they walk that out through baptism. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That's publicly letting the world know, like, I've identified myself with Christ. I've been founded in him. And then it says the next thing we do as we continue this process, there's this ongoing, this ongoing pouring into these new Christians, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, you may not be a pro at this yet. But if you're a Christian in the room, you know somewhat of Jesus. Like you've internalized the gospel. You've come to the point that you've understood, like you've trusted your eternity to the fact that Jesus died on a cross for you, paying for your sin, like paying all your consequences, offered himself as a gift for you. And if you just trust him by faith, he rescues you, saves you. You've come to the point that you've understood the resurrection of Jesus to the point that you believe it and know it to be true, that, the, that Jesus wasn't just some guy. It wasn't even just like some story. It was, a, it was the son of God who came and died, rose again, defeating even death for you. You know that. And for a certain period of time, you've been figuring out how to walk that out, how not just to know him, but to follow him. You may not be full pro yet, but what Jesus is going to show us in this passage is that our mandate, our calling, is to pour out everything we know about how to know and follow Jesus into someone else so that they can know and follow Jesus. That's who we're supposed to be. This is not just for me. It is not just for you. It is for us to pour everything that we have of Jesus into someone else. That's your calling. Your calling is to give away everything you know about following Jesus to help other people know and follow Jesus. Christians, that's our mission to make disciples, 
It's more than just going somewhere. It's more than just going somewhere and just sharing the gospel. It's more than just trying to baptize a bunch of people to like get some numbers up or something. It's about pouring ourselves, everything that we know of this Jesus, into someone else so they can know him and follow him too. At the end of the day, it's disciples making disciples. So Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, it says this. It says, Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And next week, we'll talk about it. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So this morning, as we walk through this, like, I want you to figure out how to actually practically do verse 20. Like, I want you to figure out and have some practical steps. If you're a Christian in the room, know how you can be a part of living out verse 20, how to live your life in a way that can help other people know and follow Jesus. Now, if you're not a Christian yet, I know that that does not sound relevant to you at all, and it's not. And so here's what I'm hoping for you. If you're not a Christian yet in the room, I'm hoping that as we walk through this, you're going to see the process, what it would look like for you to draw near to Christ. I want you to see that when people are inviting you into things and trying to spend time with you, it like, there's, there's an intent behind that to help you figure some things out. I hope nobody's trying to shove anything down your throat or like force anything upon you because it's not very helpful. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So if you're not a Christian yet, I'm hoping and praying that as you see this, you can see what a relationship with another Christian, with a Christian, like even in the room, the Christian that invited you, how that would, how that would be helpful for you. All right? That's what I'm hoping for you. All right, so let's take this thing apart just word by word. It's this first teaching. This is the third word in the passage that explains how to make disciples. There's just one command in the whole passage, make disciples. There's three ways that it tells us how to do that. It says by going, like as you're going, like there's normal means of life in your normal relationships, you're going. And it says next, when they become Christians, you're baptizing, like you're like immersing them in water, like you're helping them publicly share their story, what Christ has done. And the last thing it tells us to do is teaching. And there's a progression, like there's an order to that. We're going, we're baptizing, we're teaching. And teaching implies that learning is supposed to happen, right? So, so what is the, what's the worst way for you to learn? Like, just like think about that for a minute. Like, how do you learn worst? I'll tell you the way that I learn worst is by sitting and listening to someone talk. It's the absolute worst way that I learn, which is why that we have groups, because I think you're going to forget most of what I say in here, right? Like, they have to, there has to be something else that's happening besides this. I'm a very bad sermon listener, so I'm trying to, like, hang on to you as hard as I can, because this is hard for me. If it's hard for you, like, we're in the same boat. So, like, this, that's, that's what's worse for me. Like, the other day, I, I was trying to listen to, to Austin, our worship guy, and Ryan, one of the sound guys, have a conversation about, like, sound tech, like, gear and stuff and like dude I don't even know what they're talking about there's a bunch of letters and numbers and like what system processors and like we have a box called a black magic which I don't think we're allowed to have and like all kind of stuff man like, I don't know what's going on I literally I was like hey um I love y'all I'm gonna leave and I just left I just left the coffee shop Britain has left the chat. Like, I was gone. I just was not a part. I just couldn't do it. Like, I, just, I can't just sit and listen to somebody talk. I just don't learn that way. Now, how do, you, how do you learn best? How do you learn best? I don't know about you, but for me, like, I learn best hands-on with somebody. Now, if Ryan wants to show me how the black magic works or whatever, and we can push the buttons together, I might ever figure that out. I don't know. But, like, hands-on with somebody there with me, I, I, I'll get it eventually. Maybe you're built the same way. I learn a whole lot better hands-on with someone than I do just sitting in a row listening to somebody talk. I want to be coached through it. I want to have feedback. When I do it wrong, I want them right there with me so they can say, no, 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 let's try it this way instead. Now think about this. Think about how Jesus 
taught his disciples how to live their lives. Think of how Jesus actually showed his followers what they were supposed to be doing. Well, he just spent time with them, right? The disciples were with him day in, day out. Like they shared meals together. They like did, they walked all these places and they're having these conversations. They're laughing and talking with him. They come up and like, hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And he's like, I got you. And just starts talking like there's, he's with them. When, they're, when he sends them out and they come back, they're sharing stories and he's coaching them through this, about how to live this life. He's just with them, talking with them, explaining things, showing them how, modeling it for them. So when they see Jesus with the woman at the well, he's not like saying like, okay, you need to do exactly this and telling them what to do. He's showing them like, just sit down with people who are drastically different from you and just share hope. It's not that hard. Just do it. Just get in here. He's modeling it for them. And they sent them out to try it on their own and then come back and talk about it. He sent them out again. They tried it on their own. They came back and talked about it. So when they were finally sent out without him, they knew how to live like him. That's how Jesus showed people how to follow him. In the same way, like that's how we're supposed to do this work. If we're going to make disciples, we need to make disciples in the way that which Jesus made disciples. Jesus' primary way of making disciples was not teaching crowds. It was spending time with a few. So if, if you're a Christian in the room, and this is a part of your mandate, like if you're going to pour your life into somebody else, you really want to see life change in somebody else, it's going to take you getting with somebody else and pouring yourself into them, like spending time with them, opening the word with them, and not just like explaining it, like teaching it to them like a lesson, but helping them learn how to handle the thing themselves. That's why huddles, like nobody's teaching you. You're spending time with the word on your own in huddles so that you can figure out how to do it, and then somebody's coaching you once you get back from doing it. You need people that are modeling their lives for others, who will just get out there and live out a life driven by Jesus. And then as other people around you and getting to see how that looks, it's going to impact their lives. The mission, the mission takes time. And this, this kind of disciple-making, this kind of disciple-making, this life-on-life, spending time with people, investing in people deeply, it takes a lot of time for us. But if you want to be a part of it, if you want to be a part of like, seeing your life count for the Great Commission, it is going to take some time. I'm pretty selfish with my time. I don't know about you. I like my time to be my time, and I have my like, work time, and I have my downtime, and I have my like, sit on the couch and watch Alabama football time. And, like, it's, a whole, it's a whole thing. It's a whole system. And then sometimes there's opportunities uh, for, for me to engage with somebody, pour my life into somebody a little bit when that selfishness wells up, and I really just don't want to. I don't want to burn the time on that. Maybe I'm already busy. Maybe I'm already stressed out. I'm like, man, one more meeting. I do like 20, 25 meetings with you guys a week, just hanging out and talking about whatever you want to talk about. And I love that. And then sometimes I get really stressed out and tired and selfishly, I just want to, I just want to go stop. I just want to go chill. The mission takes time. And so as we give of ourselves, we're pouring ourselves out. Like there's an element of that. Yeah, you need to have downtime. You need to have rest. That's all biblical. But selfishly holding on to all of my time, for me, for my people, without giving it away for the eternal benefit of somebody else. That's, that's just, that's not the mission. If you want to be a part of the mission, it's going to take some time. Christians, Christians, this is what we're supposed to be doing. As individuals in a church, that's why we do tribe, that's why we do huddles, that's why we don't put all of our eggs in this basket of worship. If this is all that you come to, this is not enough. All right? If you're not getting around somebody to get to do some life-on-life -life work, like this is not enough. So, it says, it says teaching. And it says teaching them. All right, so we've got to figure out who them is. Who are we supposed to be teaching? So first, like, who, who them is not. 
Okay, we, like who, who is not included in the them that we're supposed to be teaching? Just easy answer. The people who don't yet trust Christ. People who don't yet like, follow and believe in, in the name of Jesus, like who aren't saved by him, like we're not trying to teach them to act like Christians. That's not what we're trying to do. That's behavior modification. That's not the point. So like, have you, have you, ever, have you ever met somebody, have you ever been friends with somebody who acted like they just thought you were great? And then like, a little while later, you find out they secretly like can't stand you. Have been talking about you behind their back. Is that just me? Hope there's some few more of you in there too. Like so, that is they, they, there's people that they'll act like they just love you and oh they like light up when you walk in the room and they're just like so friendly and everything's great. And then secretly you find out that they kind of just can't stand you. Right? That's not worth a lot. In the same way, like we don't we don't want to be building hypocrites. We don't want to be building people who act like they know and follow Jesus when in fact they don't know and follow Jesus. They're just trying to go through the motions and look like they do. I talk to a lot of people who are coming to faith in Christ who have looked like they're Christians for a really long time, but did not believe a word of it. They didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They weren't they didn't really know know him. They weren't being changed by him. The the grace and peace of Christ wasn't like dwelling in them. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in them, but they sure looked like they were. Getting it done. They did all the right behaviors, but they didn't know the, the Savior. That's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to like, like modify people's behavior so they look the way we want them to look. We're trying to share the gospel with people saying, look, man, I, without hope, without him, like, there's no point in trying to change your behavior. You need to be saved. You don't need to be dressed up a little bit. Jesus is interested in heart transformation, not in behavior modification. So who is them? If we're not trying to change the behavior of people who aren't Christians, then the, the them is like we're trying, to, we're trying to invest, we're trying this them that we're teaching, how to observe all these commanded, that's, that's believers, particularly new believers. People who are new to faith in Christ, we're saying, all right, this is what it looks like to actually walk this out. This is what it looks like to actually follow him. This is how you do this. So trusting Christ is the starting point of a new life, and then you have to figure out how to walk in it. Every parent in the room, um, it's parents weekend, right? Every parent in the room who um, has a kid with them or like, gets some other kid somewhere else, like you, have, you can remember at least your first kid learning to walk. Like I can remember the first kid, kid number three, I don't know. I don't know. It's all kind of a blur at that point. So tired. Anyway, but the first kid, oh my goodness, when that kid was learning to walk, it was like the saga of my existence, okay? Like, there's this point when all these little little tiny squishy humans, they finally start grabbing onto something like a couch, and they'll pull their little body up, and it's like this Herculean like effort for them. And you're cheering, you're just like down in their face, like full Saban mode, like, let's go, you know? And they finally get on their tiny little nubby feet, right? And they're up there and they're like, oh. And their face just looks horrified. And then there's a hundred and, you know, there's a giant adult screaming in their face at them. They don't, they don't like speak yet. Like they just, they don't know, right? And then there comes a the day when they finally, like they're like doing the thing, right? And they, they let go with their hands and they're just up. And then inevitably, faceplant. It's next. You know it's coming, but you're so excited for them because, like, you got to faceplant. Way to go, man. Like, you got that far in your life. You're a new little human being. You're trying to figure out how to walk this out. You made it on your own two feet for a second. You did great. And then one day comes when they finally, like, we say it's first steps. Really what it is is falling with style because they go to faceplant, and then one of their legs, like, reacts to this sensation of not wanting their face slammed into the ground. So their leg moves, and it catches them. It's astounding. And then the next one catches them, and then they faceplant. And you're so, so excited because they got two steps in before they, like, crush their nose again. Right? And we're so happy for them that they finally got, they, they made it that far. 
We're cheery. I mean, we're, I'm like sending videos and stuff. I missed the second kid's first step, so I was a terrible father. You know, I missed it, and Jessica sent me a video. It was great. Like, we're so excited for people. And they, they, they get on their own feet, and they start making a little bit of movement forward. We help. We get really excited when new little people learn to start walking in this new life. In the same sense, like, we've got to be full of grace and full of mercy and full of all of that excitement as people new to Christ figure out how to walk in him. It's not going to be an immediate change where every single thing in their life just like switches flip and they're just fully formed believers. No, they're figuring out how to walk, out, walk this out in Christ. Then they're going to figure out how to run. And then they're going to figure out how to pour into somebody else. And if you're already a Christian, your job is to pour into them and encourage them and support them and back them up, help them continue moving forward throughout that entire process. So we're teaching them. And it says to observe. Teaching them to observe. All right, so the word observe can mean a lot of different things, all right? And so um, just full disclosure, I'm not a slow driver. There's some slow drivers in the room. You need to move, okay? Just get in the left, like get, get in the right lane, get out of my left lane. This is my lane, and you people need to go over there, okay? You stay there. Shh. All right, just got that out of the way. We just changed some people's lives with that one. Slow drivers stay in the right lane on the interstate. That's the way it works. That's the rules of the road. Anyway, so I observe the speed limit. I do. I observe, I observe the mess out of the speed limit, all right? So I'm driving, and I see a speed limit sign, and I'm like, yep, there it went. I observed the speed limit, right? I did not observe, I observed the speed limit sign probably technically, right? I did not observe the actual limit, the, like the, the fact that the, the, the words are written there and it's on a little signpost and I'm just, you know, has no impact on me. Like I, I've seen it, I've, I know it, I'm completely aware of it. The little tiny thing at the bottom of the screen in Waze is just blinking at me the whole time. I know, I am, I am in full observance that there is a speed limit, but I do not abide by it. I don't, I just don't. Um, and I think a lot of us do the exact same thing with the word of God. I mean, there's a lot of us that know it deeply, like we've studied it, we can tell you stories, but you can probably get up here and teach a thing. But when it comes to actually doing it, living it out, there's a, there's a disconnect there. So when it comes to this, this observing, this is us actually doing what he's called us to do. So what has he called us to do? Like they, they, Jesus told us, like he said, the first and greatest commandment was to love God. That's Matthew 22. Verse 37, 38, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the, the, the first and greatest commandment. And it's a great thing to know, and you may, have, you may have known that when I was even saying it. You may have had that one memorized, but doing it, oh my goodness, that's hard. That's a difficult thing to observe, to actually do. I don't know how you normally show love to people, but the way that you're going to show love to Christ is going to be differently. So how do you do that? How do you, how do you show that you love Christ? Thankfully, he told us how to do that too. John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I, I said to, didn't say, hey, if you love me, you'll come and sing like some really emotional like words to me. Like, like you'll get in a worship service once a week and like mean all these words and like, like say these things to me and then leave and do nothing with them. Like it doesn't mean that you're going to come and have a conversation about a, a passage in Bible and, and, and tribe and then the rest of the week there's no interaction with the text at all. That says if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what he does. If you love him, you'll obey him. 1 John 5, 1 uh, explains it a little bit more broadly. It says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Okay, that means you're a Christian. 
And everybody who loves the Father then should love whoever has been born of him. That means his people. So by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. It's like a litmus test. This is how we know that we've gotten this right. If we're loving God and we're keeping his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. This is it again. And I love that, the way this ends. His commandments are not burdensome. This isn't like this, this awful thing that God is dragging us into and there's these, all these burdensome, terrible things that God's going to make you do if you trust your life to him. No, that's not how this works. He's, the things that he's commanding you to do are step out of darkness and into the light. To leave the things that are destroying you, destroying your soul, destroying your communities, destroying your, like your future, just destroying you and step out of those things and into the light. Those are the commands. That's why it says they're not burdensome. His commands are for your good, not for evil. So it's, this, it's this, this idea of us teaching people to observe his command. There is, no, there is no awful in that. This isn't like having to observe some like burdensome, just condescending bunch of rules. This is saying, hey, would you let go of all of this awful in your life and step into the goodness and the grace and the peace and the mercy of God? Would you leave all of that terrible behind and come be with him and a part of his work? Listen, obeying Christ is what demonstrates love for Christ which results from being saved by Christ. You need to stare at that for a second. Obeying Christ is what demonstrates a love for Christ, which results from being saved by Christ. That's what we're trying to walk out here. So as we're teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, that observance comes from this, this, this place of love in light of your salvation. So you can't teach people who haven't been saved to look like Christians because there's no reason why they would do that. It's not going to make any sense at all. So obeying Christ is demonstrated by, demonstrates love for Christ results from being saved by Christ. That's what we're trying to do. Teach others to observe, and he says, all that I've commanded you. Doesn't mean a little bit of it. Doesn't mean just the, the highlights. Doesn't just mean, you know, memorizing a couple of little, like, verses that make you feel good and then, like, forgetting the rest of it. So there's a few things that, that come with this idea of all that I've commanded you. A few things we got to think about that. Like, first, that means you got to know the word. Right? Like you you got you to know the thing. Like you, can't, you can't observe all that he's commanded you if you don't know what it is. And so if we're going to be people, if you're going to be a Christian in the room, like if you're going to be somebody who's observing, like living out, walking out, all that he's commanded you, you've got to know the Bible deeply. you got to know it. You can't follow it if you don't know it. And like I want, I want you to know the Bible deeply. I, I, what I cover up here is never going to be enough. We're going so slowly. We've been doing the Great Commission for like five weeks. I mean, like, we're, not, we're never going to get anywhere. I mean, we're going to slowly and consistently walk through it, but if this is all you got, like, this is not enough. you got to be able to figure out how to spend time with the Word of God on your own, take it apart, internalize it, and start living that thing out. And you need some people around you to back you up as you do so. Next, that means you can't, you can't pick and choose. If we're going to teach, teach people to observe all that he's commanded us, we've got to know the word. We've got to know it deeply. We've got to know like, the breadth of it, but we also just can't pick and choose what we want to observe inside of that. Like If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, like he's become your authority. We talked about that week one in this. And if he's your authority, that means there's times that you're going to have to remember to take yourself off of the throne and put him back up there and live in accordance with what he's called you to do, not what you think. Not, definitely not what you feel. There's going to be some times that the things that, that my emotions tell me to do that are straight lies. Like my emotions like can't be trusted. 
was having a conversation with somebody earlier. They're just like, we were talking about just the anger that wells up in us. And when I feel that, like, there's something in me that, that I, don't get to, I don't get to walk that out. I'm not going to walk out my emotions. I want to walk out the word of God. I want to live in accordance with what he's called me to do, not what I feel. I can't pick and choose. I can't, I can't skip sections of scripture because they don't agree with your view or whatever behavior that you're trying to protect for yourself. You don't, we don't get to do that. If we're, if we're Christians, like if we've trusted our lives to Christ and we live in accordance with the fullness of his word, it reminds me of what Elijah said to all the people on, on Mount Carmel like way back in 1 Kings. First Kings 18, um, Elijah uh, calls this evil king and all these prophets of this fake guy called Baal, all 400 of them, and he, he basically calls them to this challenge, okay? And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up this altar. We're going to put a uh, sacrifice on the altar, and then we're going to basically ask each of our gods to show up and, and consume this sacrifice, and whichever god actually shows up is the real god. You, you okay with that? And say, okay. So everybody shows up. They're going to do that. Everybody's there before anything happens. This is what Elijah says in 1821. He says, Elijah came near to all the people, and he said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal's God, fine, follow him. And the people didn't answer him a word. He's saying, listen, whichever one of these things is actually true, can be trusted, like holds water, like there's, like it's real, then live by that. All right? And so like if this, if this God of the universe, if this Jesus Christ, like if you're saying this is real, you've trusted your life to him, then live it out. And if you're saying he's not, and you've like can, can figure that out and prove that for me, then like, and you're, you're going to be the authority, okay. But just don't claim both. Just know where you stand. So you know how the story goes. Maybe you don't. A, the, the false prophets of Baal like run in circles around this thing for hours and hours and hours and nothing happens. Elijah comes and he, he, sells, he has water brought and water's poured over this altar over and over again and water's running down off the altar in the middle of a drought, by the way. And God, uh, Elijah simply just prays and says, Lord, would you, would you show him? It says that fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and the altar and the water and even the dust that was around the rocks. Like just God just showed up. I want you to get to live like that. In light of what he's done for you, in light of Christ, in light of who he is, like I want you to get to live with this passion for, for him, like to, to live, not limping between two opinions, but simply living out what he's called you to do. So what's he called you to do? If you're a Christian in the room, we've been talking about that over and over again. Christians, like we're called to love God, to love others, to live our lives for their sake, to pour ourselves out for the people that don't yet know him. We're called to go and make disciples. But listen, if you're in the room this morning and you're not a Christian yet, like that, that's, that's, there's a step before that for you. And so the call for you, the thing to obey for you, that first step is just simply to come to a point where you believe. And I know the, the height of that hurdle for some of you. I get to sit in conversations with some of you and talk about the height of that hurdle and the questions that are on your heart and your mind. And I get that. And I'm praying that God's going to keep bringing a community around you and to point you to the word for you to find the answers that you need to come to the point that you can simply believe. But if you're sitting in the room this morning and you're skeptical, I just, I just want you to know you're in, really good, you're in really good company. There's a lot of precedent in Scripture for people who are really skeptical of this Jesus, specifically in the person of Thomas. This guy was one of the 12 disciples. He was one of the, the ones who had been walking with Jesus, had seen the whole thing, right? He's, and, he, and he got to the point that Jesus had been murdered, and he heard that he had risen from the grave, and it just would not click, would not believe it. In John 20, verse 24, it says, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, he wasn't with them when Jesus came and entered the upper room and saw him. 
So the other disciples, they went and told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see, his hands, the, see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of those nails, place my hand into his side, I'm never going to believe it. He's like, I'm not, I'm, mm -mm. that doesn't make any sense to me. My mind is telling me that's not possible. I'm out. I'm not going to believe it. Verse 26 says this, as eight days later, his disciples, they were inside once again, and Thomas was with them this time. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came, and he just stood among them. And he just said, peace be with you. Like, just, oh, it's, it's okay, it's, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And then he walked up to Thomas, not anybody else. He didn't go talk to anybody else. Walked up to Thomas, and he said, put your finger here. See my hands? Thomas, put out your hand. Put out your hand. Pla pla place it in my side, bro. Let's put, put your hand up. He says this, he says, don't disbelieve, but believe. That was the simple command to, to Thomas. Don't, don't disbelieve. Don't cling to your disbelief, but believe. Thomas answers him, my Lord, my God, this is responsive worship, which is what happens when we come to Christ. And, and Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? And he thinks about people like you. And he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Those of us in the room who are Christians, we know the bar that, that, would, that you'd have to get over to get to the point where you wouldn't disbelieve but believe. And I'm praying this morning that God would move you just one step closer in that. I'm praying that there's people sitting on your row with you that you could spend some time with and ask some questions and say, listen, I, if you know of this Jesus, I need, I need you to help me with some stuff. And if they don't have answers for you, I hope that they connect you to somebody who does. I'd love to help. Austin would love to help. you got leaders around. I would love to help you. But just take that next step. All right. Our band's going to come. They're going to lead us in a time of response. And as they do that, I just want to pray for you, all right? And so if you're a Christian in the room, you've got your command. You've got your call to pour your life into some other people. And maybe right now you just need to start praying and thinking about that. What would it look like for you to make that time in your life to be able to do that? If you're not a Christian in the room, I'm, I'm, praying that, I'm praying that this morning might be that, that point in your life when you're saying, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm done with the disbelief. I'm ready to believe. I know I'm not going to see it. I'm not, I'm not going to have all, the, all of it laid out the way I necessarily want, but I, I'm feeling him do something in my life. I know it's there. I'm, I'm sensing the truth that I can see him working all around me. God, I'm ready. I want to pray for you. Father, my, my prayer this morning is that as, um, even as we sing this next song, God, that, that, uh, that you'd work in our lives. I pray that I pray that those of us who have lived our lives in you, like who are Christians, they've been saved by you, but we've been living our lives really just for us. If we invest in our walk with you, but we're not investing in anybody else's, God, I pray that you would draw us past that. And that, that, we would, that we'd recognize, okay, maybe we're not professionals at this, we don't have it all figured out, but God, I pray that you would help each and every believer in this room pour what they have of, of you, what they know of knowing and following you. I pray that you would give them just a drive to, to, to pour that into somebody else, to help somebody else come to the point that they can know and follow you as well. I don't know what they came in here driving their lives, but I pray they'd walk out recognizing that that's your call, that's your mandate. And you'd help them commit to do that. Maybe you're sitting out there and you're a Christian. God, guys, I, I, I just want you to ask, like, would you ask God to give you somebody to pour yourself into? Would you ask him to give you somebody to pour yourself into? I want to pray for those of you who aren't believers yet too. God, um, I want to lift up my, 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 my friends in the room. 
who haven't gotten to the point that they can believe yet. But they're wrestling that out. And God, I pray that by your spirit that you would, you, you literally work a miracle in their heart. That beyond just like, just the answers, beyond just um, the questions that are on their mind, I pray that over and above that, that you'd do something by your spirit that would draw them to yourself. That they would know deep inside their soul that you're there, that you love them, that you sent your son for them. That he rose from the grave, defeating even death for them. And I pray that, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. they wouldn't walk out of this room the way they came in. Give them the boldness to trust you as their Savior. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.